we're in a season where we're taking a look and refreshing our minds uh, in regards to uh, who we are as a church, okay, and what we are about. And so I know this is review for some of us, but, uh, but for other, others of us, this may be your first exposure. What are we about? Well, it's summarized in this statement. We call it the purpose statement. We believe a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church and great Christians. It's based on two big portions of scripture, the great commandment and then the great commission, okay? From there, we have our mission statement, which is how we seek to do this. And it is simply this, we join people seeking purpose and offer life through Jesus Christ. The way we do that is symbolized in this track. Now, what I want you to understand about this track, folks, I could teach hours on this track, but this track really symbolizes the five emotional needs that are met in your life when you begin to take these purpose-driven steps. You bring people into celebration, okay? That meets the emotional need of stimulation. You move them off into a commitment to Christ and a commitment to church. This meets the need of uh, uh, um, uh, support, okay? Because we all need support. We need to be supported by Christ, being a part of his church, universal church, but also support in the way of a local church. From there, you move into step two, which is about uh, connecting, really understanding how you can be connected to Christ through some basic Christian habits as well as being in community. And that meets the emotional need of support. From there, we move people into step three, which is about serving. Learn, this whole series is about, the, uh, about serving, understanding the shape that God's given us. And that meets the emotional need of significance. From there, or I should say self-expression, sorry, self-expression, because God wants you to be who you are. From there, we move people into step four, which is about sharing your story and listening to other people's stories as you incorporate Christ's story into that, that, uh, that storytelling time. And that meets the need of significance. There's a lot behind this. I cannot encourage you enough to be a part of the, per the eternal purposes of God. Today, we're going to wrap up this series as we look at the last letter of the acrostic shape. But before we do there, we have got a person in the pew who serves at LifePoint, Marty. Okay, this morning, our final interview with person in the pew, I have Carlos Duke with me. And Carlos, tell me about your spiritual gift or your shape. My spiritual gift or my shape is the gift of serving, which is the being available for people, volunteering, and just helping out. We love that so much about you. Now tell them what you do back there. And uh, guest services, uh, we're the people that are in the foyers as you walk in, we're saying hello. If you're a new visitor, we check you in to, if you have any information or anything, any questions that you may have. If you have kids, we take you to the kids section. We even give tours. And hopefully, we will make you feel like you're home now. I think you do a great job at that. I see you out there giving tours all the time. So let me just say this, because I know you. 
and we pass in the hallways quite often. You've gone through a difficult year. Tell me about that. Um, it's been a season of a separation and a divorce for me, so it's been a time of grieving and mourning and just a heavy heart for me. And, you know, there was times when I passed you in the hall. I said, how are you doing, Carlos? How are you doing? And you would, you would give me the smile, the thumbs up, you know. And I just want to say how awesome it is to have you come, even though I know at times you must not have felt like it. Now, tell me, when you served, even feeling that way, how did you feel at the end of the day, knowing you had served? You know, something that the message is often talked about is uh, finding purpose. And um, just coming here and being with the body of Christ and helping has given me joy. It's gotten me out of the house. It's helped me focus on others other than myself. Uh, and it's really helped my stress lower. So. Well, we just celebrate you. We thank you for all that you do. And, you know, I think there's a scripture in the Bible that talks about when you serve, even when it hurts. When you're serving God and doing the right things, even when it hurts. And I just, we celebrate you and thank you so much for that. Back to you, George. Let's give it up for Carlos. All right. We're going to wrap up this series called Shape for Significance as we've been looking at our shape, which is an acrostic for our spiritual gifts, our hearts, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences in life. And today we're going to talk about how to use our experiences like Carlos talked about, for the glory of God and for the good of others. Now, one of the most famous verses in the Bible is Romans 8, 28. And it reads this, like this. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Like I said, this is one of the most important verses in the Bible. And yet it is also one of the most mis or abused verses in the Bible. And so I want to tell you and teach you what this means by first telling you what it isn't saying. First, this verse doesn't say that all things work the way that you and I want them to, that everything has a happy ending. What it does say is this, we know. Will you circle that phrase? We don't guess, we don't hope, we don't wish, we don't think, we don't pray. We know as sure as the sun rises in the morning, we know it is a certainty. What is it that we know? Will you circle all? We know that in all things, all means all, all the time. Does that mean the stupid decisions that I make in life? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the stupid mistakes that I make. Yeah, it does. The failures, the successes, the divorces, the abortions, the miscarriage, the unemployment, the bankruptcies, the, the cancer. Does it include all those things? Absolutely. Folks, God fits it all in to his plan. Now, obviously, not everything in life is good. Folks, evil exists in our world. God is not the author of evil. God grieves when he sees sin in the world. But God has given man a free will. 
to choose right or to choose wrong, to choose to be in relationship with him or to choose to reject him. God's given us that freedom. And so as a result, a lot of times we choose wrong. And so as, and as a result of that, hurt happens in our world. We know that in all things, God works. Will you circle the word works? God has a grand design. Your life is not an accident. It is not the result of karma or fate or luck. No, God has a design on your life. We call it the purpose-driven life. God has a design on your life, and that design is for good. Even when bad things happen, Pastor George, absolutely. God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. We make mistakes, but folks, God doesn't. He sees it all. God works for good for those who love the Lord and have been called according to his purpose. Now, what I want you to understand about that is that is not a promise for everybody. It is only a promise for those who love God and who seek to following him. A, a person who thumbs their nose at God, guess what God's going to say to them? You're on your own, dude. This is not a promise for everybody. It is a promise for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. Truly, one of the reasons why I worship God is because God is God and he can take my mess and turn a message out of it. He can turn my crisis and help other people see Christ through it. He can take my test and turn a testimony from it, okay? He takes the bad and he can make it good. This is a mystery. And yet in some ways it's not. We experience that especially this time of year in the making of cookies. One of my favorite cookies is chocolate chip cookies. Now, if you talk to my wife, who is a vegan, she will inform you that there is nothing good in a chocolate chip cookie, okay? The baking soda isn't good. The shortening definitely isn't good. The raw eggs aren't good. The salt isn't good. The sugar isn't good. She would say the chocolate chips aren't good, but I would contest at that point, right? About the only thing good in a chocolate chip cookie is, are the chocolate chips, and yet somehow, some way, when you mix those all together, you throw it in the oven at 350 degrees for about 10 minutes, it turns out just awesome, okay? How does that happen? I don't know. I sure like the way it works, okay? It's a mystery. How does it work in our life? I don't know. God just mixes things together here and there, and it turns out good. It is a mystery, and that is what he wants for your life. Today, we're going to talk about how to bring that to pass. Today, we're going to talk about how he does it. How do I keep from wasting the experiences of my life, regardless of what they've been? Three things. Take good notes. First is this. You must embrace your experiences. You must embrace the good ones, the bad ones, and the ugly ones. You must embrace the ones that you are 
ashamed of. The right ones, the wrong ones, the happy ones, the sad ones. You've got to embrace them. In other words, you've got to stop running from your past if you want God to bring good out of your experiences. Take a look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 4. You have experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. Truly, as your pastor, I hope you don't waste your experiences. And especially those that have been the most hurtful. You see, the problem with experiences in life is that a lot of them aren't always good. The good ones, boy, we just love to share with everybody. But those that aren't as good, we kind of tend to shy away from them. People have a tendency to deny their past, to ignore their past, to, to, to reinvent their past, to re-resent their past, to rewrite their past. And God says, if you want me to bring good out of your experiences, you can't run away from them. God can use every experience in your life for, for good, regardless of what it is. But you and I can't run away from them. We have to own them. So how is it that you and I own all of our experiences in life, and especially those that are the ones that we want to forget about? It's real simple. you got to remember them. you just got to remember them so that you don't stop running from them. Take a look at this first out of Deuteronomy 11.2. Remember what you have learned about the Lord through the experiences with him. It says, remember what you have learned. How do you and I remember things? I can tell you what I do now is I pull out my phone and I get to my memo pad and I write something down. Why do I do that? Because <laughs> the gray cells are getting grayer, Okay. And if I don't write it down, it's going to be gone. And so you and I need to write things down. You can call it a journal if you want to. You can just call it a notepad, whatever. You just write things down. Now, why is that important? Because hindsight is 2020, isn't it? Hindsight is better than foresight. Your understanding of history is always better than your understanding of the future. And it makes a whole lot more sense to study what has happened in the past in order to understand what you need to do in the future as opposed to understanding the, the future through speculation, which a lot of times happens in the news, to understand the future. Take a look at John chapter 13, verse 7. Jesus said this, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand you and I almost never understand what is happening in the present. That's why we say, after the fact, and we look back, we say, you know what, I didn't understand what was going on, but now I do. A great story about this out of the Bible is the character of Joseph. He was the one that was sold into slavery by his brothers. And not just for four days or four years, but for 40 years, he was in slavery in Egypt. And one day, Joseph got to confront his brothers 
And this is what he said out of, I, 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 out of Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. There are things in your past that other people intended to do to you or did to you that, that their purpose was to harm you. But God could see it all. And he intended it for good. God is greater than your problems and he is greater than your pain. And he means it for good. And so the first thing we must do is we must embrace the experiences of our life. The good ones, the bad ones, and the ugly ones. Secondly, we must extract the lessons. You pull the meaning of that experience out of it. Socrates said this, the unexamined life isn't worth living. There are people today who are, I don't know, 50 years old, and yet they only have one year of experience. And that is because they keep repeating themselves again and again and again and again. They never learn from the experiences of life. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith. Do you not realize by an ever-increasing experience that Jesus Christ is in you? What is he saying here? He's saying, haven't you learned that God is not only around you and with you, but that he is inside of you. That when you do life alone, and especially when it is hard, oh, when it is good, oh man, oh God's with me, God is so good. But when those dark times come in our life, Paul is saying, don't you realize that you are not going it alone? You see, if you haven't learned that yet, it is only because you haven't been recording, you haven't been writing down where your life is heading and you're not writing down who has been with you all along on that journey. Yes, others may have forsaken you. Yes, you may have felt alone, but the reality is God is not only around you and with you, but he's inside of you. Folks, that only comes, as Paul says here, as we examine and test and evaluate. Now, when you examine and you test and you evaluate, what do you look for? You look for three things. You look for the benefits, you look for the patterns, and you look for the lessons. You look for the benefits. What did I really enjoy out of this experience? Obviously, if it was a good experience, you probably have a lot of things that you would say is a benefit. Those that are bad, are there any things in this bad situation that I enjoyed the most? And you could probably, as you thought, think about that. Yeah. You know, when I was in God's Word during that hard time, it just seemed like the Word of God was just coming alive for me. I never knew that there would be people who would come and support me like they did. Wow. 
You look for the benefits. And then you look for the patterns, particularly in your failures. You stop, you stop saying, poor me. And you say, God, I want to be different. Truly, those people who ignore the past are doomed to repeat it. And then finally, you look for the lessons. Take a look at Proverbs, or Job 32, verse 7. The longer you live, the wiser you become. Will you write beside that verse? This is a possibility, not a promise. You see, maturity is when you extract meaning out of the lessons of life. It's when you learn those lessons. And so you embrace your experiences. You extract the lessons. And then number three, you employ them to help others. When you and I finally realize that the purpose of life is not about ourselves, that it is not about our own happiness, only then will life take on a bigger perspective where you will be able to use those experiences for the glory of God and for the good of other people. Paul wrote about this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, my friends, that the things that have happened to me have really helped the progress of the gospel. What had happened to Paul when he was writing this? Well, folks, he was in prison. He was in prison in Rome, chained to some guards 24-7. He could not even go to the restroom on his own. Come on with me. You want to see what it's like? Gross thought, right? That was the experiences he was going through, okay? And yet he says here, these things are for good. For the glory of God. The gospel is going forth. And people are getting saved. He's not whining about it. He's not crying about it. He's not uh, whimpering about it. He's not saying, poor me. Folks, he has a different perspective. He has a bigger perspective that is for the glory of God and for the good of other people. Now, here is the reality. God wants to use your experiences. The good ones, the bad ones, and the ugly ones. He wants to use them for the glory of God, for the expansion of the good news, and for the good of others. There are four ways that God wants to use your experiences in your life. The first way is this. God says, I want you to use the experiences that you have in life to minister to other people who are in pain. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7. In our trouble, in our trouble, God has comforted us. And this too to help you, to show you from our personal experience how God will tenderly comfort you when you undergo these same sufferings. He will give you the strength to endure. Here's the point. God takes you through trouble. And as he does, he comforts you. 
He strengthens you. He helps you so that you can strengthen and help and comfort other people who are going through the same thing. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. God always wants to multiply what you and I experience in life for other people. God helped you so that you would help other people. And so God says, use your experiences. Whatever you do, don't waste them. You see, who is better to help someone who's going through a medical situation like cancer than someone who's gone through cancer? Who is better to help someone who is grieving the loss of a loved one than someone who's already gone through that? Who's better to help someone who's struggling with some kind of addiction than someone who's already gone through the recovery process? God says, I don't want you to waste your experiences. Don't waste them. Don't waste that hurt. He wants to use it to bless and help other people. But what do we typically say? That's just not a part of my life anymore. I just want to forget about it. Do you and I realize that we truly help people better through our weaknesses than we do our strengths? We help people with our strengths. Don't misunderstand me. But truly, we help people better through our weaknesses than we do our strengths. When we share from our strengths, a lot of people will just discount that because they think, well, you're just talented in that area and you don't have any problems. I could never do what you, you, you've done. But when you and I share our stories from, about our weaknesses and from our weaknesses by saying, you know what, I've been where you're at, been there, done that. And I was filled with fear. I felt shame. I felt regret. I, I was hurt. All of a sudden, people take note. If you and I don't use our experiences, guess what? They're going to be wasted. And all we're going to get out of them is pain. And so we embrace our experiences. We extract the lessons. We employ them to minister to other people in pain. Secondly, we, we, extra, we, we employ our experiences to motivate people who are discouraged. You minister to people who are in pain. You motivate people who are discouraged. Truly, your experiences in life can inspire people when they are feeling down, doobie-doo, down, down, because they can see that you have gone through it. Take a look at this verse out of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Encourage one another and help one another. That's a pretty simple verse, isn't it? We're to encourage one another. We're to help one another. How does that motivate somebody when they're discouraged? I can think of a number of ways. One, it gives them hope. Secondly, it can help them overcome fear. 
And thirdly, it can help them take down barriers. It can give people hope by showing how it can be done. Think of it like this. You ever been on a zip line? Oh, those are a blast. And let me, let, let me take a different one. Have you ever been skydiving before? We got a skydiving ministry here, right? Oh, it is a blast. But when you go, you're nervous. And several planes take off with loaded people going to skydive 13,000 feet up or so. And you're nervous. You got your suit on. It's tandem the first time, so don't be nervous, okay? And you see that plane go up and you see people landing. And one of them, after they land, they come to you and say, this is my fifth time. And then it's your turn to go up. And because they've done it five times, guess what? It gives you the courage that you can do it. Folks, it gives people hope when you share from your personal experiences that others that because, that because others have gone before you. The second thing that it does, it is that it helps people overcome their fears. Truly, the one of the most common feelings that people have when they're experiencing something totally new to them, and especially if it's challenging to their faith, is that a lot of times they think they're going crazy. I cannot tell you how many times I've had people come into my office and say to me, Pastor George, I'm afraid that I'm going crazy. I don't know what in the world's going on. I think I'm going insane. And I have to honestly look them in the eyes and say, I want you to know something. If you weren't feeling what you are feeling right now, I would say that you are crazy. People who don't think they're crazy and have no feelings about things that, they're, that you are going through, that they've gone through similar, hey, they're the ones that got it a little loose up here. You are not crazy. You are just being stressed out. And then lastly, it just helps us to break through barriers when you motivate people from your personal experiences. Roger Bannister was the first guy who broke the four-minute mile. And after he broke it, all kinds of different ones broke the four-minute mile. He, in essence, gave them permission and allowed and, and took down barriers so that other people could do what they had dreamt about. And these kinds of things only happen when you and I share from personal experience. Personal experience is always more impactful than teaching. As you know, over the years, we're going to do something different this spring. You just be waiting and watching after the first of the year. But we've had outrun homelessness. And one of our sponsors is Rusty Taco right down the street. The guy who owns it is Joe. I know Joe fairly well. Over the years, we've really gotten to know one another, and I've shared some of my personal struggles in birthing a church. And I said, hey, what's it like for you birthing a company? I've shared some of the struggles of, of seeking to make an impact in our community. And over the years, Joe and I have developed a relationship. This last June, Joe, Joe, Joe called me up and says, George, I want to give you a T-shirt. Great. Great. Uh, you know, super. What's up? He says, I want you to know I did, I took a step of faith 
A lot of people were against this, but I took a step of faith. I said, what's that, Joe? I made a T-shirt. Rusty Tacos on the front, and on the back, it's got Jesus, Texas, and tacos. Isn't that awesome? I love Joe. I love Joe with all my heart because he's a man of faith. He loves the Lord. And he's trying to figure out, how do I work this thing? And he took that step. He told me on that phone call, George, I bought 500 of them. They're almost all gone. Folks, sharing personal experiences is far more impactful than teaching. I tried Rusty Taco. You ought to try it too. I tried Financial Peace University. You ought to try it too. Take a look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. For your sake, my friends, I have applied all this to Apollos and myself, using the two of us as an example so that you may learn. Your experiences motivate people when they're discouraged. The third way to employ your experiences is by using them to model for others. We're not only to minister to people in pain, we're not only to motivate those who are discouraged, but we are to model for people how to live the Christian life. Take a look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Notice that Paul said, follow my example. In essence, he's saying there, I am a model. Now understand something. To be a model, you do not have to be perfect. Paul was not perfect here. The word model in the dictionary refers to a smaller representation of the real thing. It's kind of like those matchbox cars. You remember those little things? They're just a smaller representation of the real thing. One day, Mattel's going to make a smaller image of me, I think, you know. But God wants you to be a model. And all you have to be to be a model is a smaller representation of the real thing. And you don't have to be perfect. And what that means is you study this text. Like Paul, you should be able to say to others, you, follow me, because I'm following Christ. Model your life after me, as I am modeling my life after Paul, after Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. All you have to be is a smaller representation of the real thing. And frankly, I would rather the world follow you as you stand up and say, I think you should follow my life, as opposed to following some rock star or some Hollywood star. Because at least, as I look at our church, at least you're trying. And those other ones aren't. And yet most of the world will follow some punk that will be on the scene for maybe a year or two, here today and gone tomorrow. How many number one hits have we? do we know? And that's all they had was one, and they are gone. 
And yet the gospel is eternal. And your life, as you, as you model your life after Jesus, who is the real thing, and as you encourage people, do what I'm doing. Be a purpose-driven person. It will change your life. And you'll see a legacy that will last you far more than your earthly life. Jesus was the only successful teacher on this planet. And the reason why was because he left clues through modeling. Take a look at the, this verse in John 13, 15. I have given you a model to follow so that as I have done for you, you should also do. Jesus modeled, the, modeled his message. Here's a question for you. How good are you at modeling? Notice this verse, Titus 2.7. Always set a good example for others. Here's a more important question. Who do you need to be modeling for? Your kids? Your spouse? Other Christians? Your co-workers? Take a look at this verse, Titus 3.14. Our people should also learn how to set an example by doing good things when urgent needs arise so that they can live productive lives. One of the ministries here at LifePoint is our outreach to Razor Elementary School, which is just about three miles down the road, where we have different mentoring adults going to that school, working with kids on an individual basis. And I think, what an impact to get them at those primary years to change the direction of their life, to help them know that they've been made by God, for God, and can be used by Him for His glory. The fourth thing that you can use your experiences for is to mentor others. Now, you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, well, what... What's the difference between modeling and mentoring? Well, there are a number of differences, and I've talked about those before in the past, but let me bring one distinction, and that is this. Mentoring is intentional. Take a look at uh, the Apostle John out of 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. We saw it, that is Jesus. We heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. What is a mentor? A mentor is a guide. He is a counselor. He's a spiritual coach. A lot of different times I'll describe myself to, to our spiritual family. I, I'm not just your spirit. I'm your coach. I'm your spiritual coach. And folks, we need coaches in our life. We need mentors in our life. We need guides. We need counselors. Whatever you want to, to call them, okay? What do you look for in a guide or a counselor or a coach? You look for several things. The first thing that I would encourage you to look for is 
Where are they at spiritually? Are they a believer? You need to understand that right up front before you allow anyone to counsel you or guide you or coach you because they're going to be operating off of a different worldview than maybe you are. It's just good to know that. But beyond that, it is good to look for experiences and perspective. Take a look at these verses here. A warning given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen is more valuable than gold rings or jewelry. A person's experiences in life are priceless. This could be a MasterCard commercial. It's just priceless. When someone comes up to you and you're going through something, they say, can I just share with you what I've gone through? Listen, because what they're going to share with you, honestly, folks, it's priceless. And then look at this verse in Job 32, verse 7. Age should speak and experience should teach wisdom. Will you circle that word wisdom? That is perspective. And wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. These are the things that you and I look for. So let me close with this. What kind of impact would our world experience, would our community experience, what kind of impact would our church experience if you and I embraced our experiences in life and didn't run from them? What kind of impact would our world, would our community, would our church experience if we extracted the lessons out of them? What kind of impact would our world, would our community, would our our church experience if we shared those, employed them by motivating people who are discouraged, by ministering to people who are in pain, by taking down barriers, by being a model, by being a mentor to some. Folks, I think our world would be different. I think our community will change. And you're going to be hearing more about this in January. And I think our church would be packed. That's the difference that God says, I want you to be you. I don't want you to be anybody else. I have shaped you in a unique way with spiritual gifts, with hearts, with abilities, with personalities, with experiences in life. You be just you and employ them and see as you trust me with how I've designed you I can't change this world, this community, and this church. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you didn't just create us and leave us to figure things out for ourselves. But you gave us a shape, God. Sometimes as we look at ourselves, we can't see it. We, we're, we're, we're just kind of blinded. We can't see the forest for the trees. We 
can't see the trees maybe because of the forest. We just don't see it, and it is a mystery. But I thank you that once we step across the line of faith, you give us spiritual eyes to see what we couldn't see before. That you have a will for our life. That you have a destiny for our life. That you have a purpose for our life. To be instruments in your hands. For your glory. For the gospel. For the good news that it might spread. And for the good of other people. And Lord, I just want to pray for us as we wrap up this series. God, we're entering into really kind of a challenging season of the year. Where there's so much activity going here and there. Raising all kinds of questions in our minds about the holiday season. What gifts are we going to buy? What, what, what food are we going to have? Where are we going to be eating at? Are we going to go see mom and dad this year? And it's easy, God, in the hustle and bustle of everyday life to forget that you're a part of it. And that you know what's happening and that you've equipped, it, equipped us for it. By giving us the shape that we have. And may we be those, God, who take a moment to reflect on how you've made us. Rejoicing in it that we're unique, that we're special, that we're valuable, God. But using it for your glory and for the good of other people. So God, we want to give you this. We want to entrust this series to you. And ask you that you would help us, God. Christ's name we pray. Amen.